0: Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the figures are in. The figures are in. Twenty-eight point five million people in the UK apparently watched the Queen's funeral. But that is significantly less than Diana's funeral. Uh -uh, The words, public enemy, Chuck D, bring the noise. On the 5th M Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in circumstances. 28.5 million. <sighs> do you want to know all that's lesser than? Do you, you want to know? Um, that is a smaller audience than the 2020 Euro final. Um, between, obviously, Italy and England. It is lesser than... Um, just about lesser than, or just about the same as the 1970 FA Cup final replay <laughs> between Chelsea and Leeds United. That was 28.49. Um, so it is significantly less than the Apollo 13 splashdown at 28.6. Uh, the Royal Family documentary apparently at 30. Um, lesser than the EastEnders episode where um Den gave Angie uh, the divorce papers. Um, and just a little bit more, funny enough, than the wedding of Charles and Diana, but significantly less than the funeral of Diana, which was at 32 million peak. Um, so yeah, I love it. Love to see it. Unbelievable. All of that, all of that, all of those channels uh, all put together and can still only muster up 28.5 million I just don't get it guys I just don't get it so you, 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 you guys were so into it you're so into it for the past two weeks and you just you just didn't bother watching it huh hmm. it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, interesting thing right there very 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 interesting um, how that works eh but we'll get into that tangentially um, but because we're moving on now it's none of that, none of, that uh, none of the respect given or any of that we are back to normal. We're going to be doing our things, and we are going to come out swinging into the final segment. If you, if you've not already seen the show notes, um, but yeah, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Don't worry, don't you worry. So with that, with that said, I'm good. I can't complain, right? We're past everything. Everything's seeming fine again. Um, in the you know, <laughs> not, not you know the grand scheme of things, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, hanged up my uh, finally put up the rest of my uh, vinyl. Um, had some like three D printed things, um, just chilling. So I finally actually uh, put them up on my wall. Um, so yeah, I've got a good, good, nice, nice, good surround. Nice, good, uh, just great, great art surrounding me right now. It's really good. Feels nice. Um, still got a few spaces here and there. Um, I might need to get like a, a large portrait, something like that, for this uh, one on the top right of me. But anyway, enough of that let's get into the show email uh formatted before we begin email to t- discord link all that all that all that in the show notes please go ahead the articles for yourself give them a read and support the Rise and make the show possible oh side note i was in the guardian i was in the guardian recently uh months <laughs> it dropped on sunday uh, i'll put the link in the uh in, in the old show notes um if you want to read um some quotes from me um i don't class myself for, for you know if you haven't read it yet uh, it's about you know, young Republicans, not in the U.S. way, obviously, Republican in terms of, like, you know, uh, anti-monarchy, you know, one in an of state, etc., etc., that kind of republic, in the same way, you know, Jamaica is uh, pushing for it now, Antigua and Barbuda, of course, uh, Barbados, uh, was it, yeah, Barbados already did it? Yeah, I think it was them, um, you know, that kind of republicanism, um, and yeah, you know, I don't consider myself, I don't label myself like that, anything like that, um but you know i was in that article and uh, you can go give that a read uh, if you want that's that's my first time in any publication so um so that's fun but yeah for, uh, i've done the formalities so yeah let the beat drop and let's get into the show In a week where Roger Federer announces retirement from tennis Um, he is going to be in the Labor Cup um, I think this week or next week Um, so that's the last time he's going to see of him. Queen's funeral happens moving on. Uh, Hurricane Fiona makes landfall in Puerto Rico and I think also the Dominican Republic if I remember correctly. Um, Las Vegas Aces win the WNBA championship and Adnan Syed will be released after his murder conviction is vacated. If you guys um, ever spun uh, serial back in the day, back in like 2015, um, well that's when I spun it, I don't know when it actually dropped, but yeah, it's been going on, It's you know, one of those, uh you know, f- kind of really, th- there was like, pre- for podcasting, it was like pre-serial and post-serial, um, I honestly think that's how good it was, um, and it's, you know, there's there's plenty of shows that are, you know, as good a quality, you know, stories that are as good a quality, but, um, you know, that's just the one that caught caught people's um, caught people's minds. Um, and uh, it's been going on for, for a few years. He's been in jail for years, and uh, now he's uh, getting out. He potentially might go back to jail if the, if the I think, prosecution make another case. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's looking. So shout out to Adnan Syed, of course. Um, but yeah, uh, I did actually have an article. I literally had to change it about five minutes before I recorded um, about Robert Sarver. Um, if you remember uh, episode 151, uh, talked about him uh, you know, and uh, he had basically had a big ass report on him uh, via Baxter Holmes and ESPN, and it uh, recently came to a head with another report, um, an internal report, and uh, basically he was a uh, fined uh, fine ten mil, uh, you know, suspended for a year, and the uh, NBA, NBA people weren't happy. And uh, just before I recorded, he announced, um, <laughs> amongst uh, the vein of uh, uh, veil of cancel culture and all that kind, all that kind of shit. Um, he's actually selling the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, so uh, happy days. Uh, so yeah, I was gonna do like a story on just you know what happened and how people are feeling, but hey, man, it's it's come to a head, so uh, we'll we'll switch it up. But I had, of course, I always have something in the you know waiting in the wings, you know what I mean. So uh, I found this is this is a great replacement, great replacement. So this is uh, via Jason Burke uh, via the Guardian. It's called uh, How UK Targeted American Civil Rights Leader in Covert Campaign. Now, this is something that has been kind of, if, you, if you're in these circles, you know about it, right? That, you know, that there was clearly some uh, shifty shit going on uh, with the UK government and the black power movement of uh, back in the day. Uh, but this is some concrete, uh, con- more concrete uh, uh, evidence, I guess, in that case. So uh, let's jump right in. The British government targeted American civil rights leader Stokey Carmichael and sought to weaken the black power movement with covert disinformation campaigns recently declassified documents, excuse me, uh, uh, campaigns, uh, documents have revealed. Uh, The effort was the work of a secret unit known as the Information Research Department based in London and part of the Foreign Office, uh, which created and distributed literature from fake sources as part of a broader effort to destabilise Cold War enemies. Though focused primarily on the Soviet Union and China, left-wing liberation groups and leaders in the UK saw uh, threats, saw as threats uh, to its interests. The discoveries revealed the the IRD from the late 1960s sought to counter more diverse targets too. Quote, we can see a large-scale attempt to shape events overseas, but one that was moving away from communism and targeting whole new areas. This shows the breadth, scope, and scale of British covert information operations, said Rory Cormack, an expert in the history of subversion and intelligence who found the material when researching his recent book, How to Stage a Coup, and 10 Other Lessons from the World of Secret sacroft. The effort against Carmichael, a firebrand orator who travelled to West Africa in part to escape harassment by US law enforcement agencies, aimed to portray the prominent black power leader as a foreign interloper in Africa who was contemptuous of the inhabitants of the continent. Based mainly in Guinea uh, from July 1969, uh, the 28-year-old activist had become a a vocal advocate of socialist, pan-Africanist ideologies which worried British officials. The document showed the IRD created a fake West African organisation called the Black Power, at Africa's heritage group, which produced a pamphlet calling Carmichael an unbidden prophet from America, uh, who had no place on the continent. Enough is enough. Why Stokely must go and do his thing elsewhere, read the pamphlet, alleging Carmichael was, quote, weaving a bloody trail of chaos in the name of Pan-Africanism, unquote, and was controlled by Kwame N... N- Nkrumah, I'm gonna say it like that. Nkrumah, um, independence leader and former president of Ghana, who had been deposed in a coup in 1966. The IRA's effort did not attack uh, Carmichael as a pro-Soviet or communist stooge, a hit, a hitherto frequent line of attack. Instead, the unit sought to portray its target as a traitor to other black power activists with a patronizing attitude to African peoples. By coming to Africa, Carmichael had deserted the cause in the US. Uh, which needs him more than we do and had, uh, that, those are quotes by the way, and had been arrogant in preaching black power to a continent, quote, where already be- we're already truly belongs, unquote, the pamphlet said. He also claimed Carmichael was a burning zealot who seemed to imagine Africans as savages and compared him unfavorably with other ra- radical activists who had recently arrived on the continent from US, such as Eldra Cleaver, an early leader of the Black Panthers, who was living in Algeria, quote, um, I just I was just um learning about these people. I uh, just all moved to Africa. I didn't re- I didn't know Elbridge Cleaver moved to Algeria. I didn't know that. Uh, quote: We are capable of formulating our own plans for our part in the struggle for equal rights and freedom for the black man everywhere. And when we are launching Black Power, uh, it will be our own brand African Power, and not the African American brainchild Stokely is trying to impose on us. The fake statement read. The smear operation against Carmichael received enthusiastic endorsement from officials within the IRD and elsewhere in the British government, including in the Foreign Office, West African Department. It came amid rising uh, concern in Whitehall about the black power movement elsewhere in the world too. The IRD was particularly worried by the movement's potential influence in the Caribbean. In February 1969, the IRD learned of the Black Power Conference to be held in Bermuda the following August and decided that rather than ban the event, it should attempt to discredit it. The British intelligence services were asked uh, for information on black power leaders and any evidence of Soviet, Cuban or Guyanese links to the movement. This was only available from US intelligence service that had begun investigating links between black radicalism in the Caribbean and advocates of black power in the US from around 1968. The IRD then prepared a series of articles for distribution to newspapers in the Caribbean and elsewhere. These accused the Black Power movement of being exploited by Havana and claimed the forthcoming conference would ruin Bermuda economically. The IRD also also prepared and distributed uh, an article about Black Power leaders targeting Trinidad. This suggested that communists uh, were behind black power aspirations on the island and that outside powers operated, quote, with the collusion of ambitious locals seeking their own ends, unquote. Some tactics, tactics in Bermuda were rejected for fear of soaking stoke- racial tensions, and local officials in the Caribbean were not supportive of the campaign, quote, there were limits uh, to what the IRD was prepared to do. In the Caribbean, the concern was that racial tension could lead to riots and disruption of tourism, and so the wider economy. In general, the IRD was happy to insinuate something without evidence, but not with outright lying, Cormac said. In 1969, the IRD also created a new fake group, the Organization of African Students for African Power. This was supposedly based in East Germany and adopted contemporary contemporary radical new left ideas, quote, proclaiming a plague on both unquote the capitalist west and soviet bloc the ird felt this uh, provided a better platform to damage opponents than the dated uh, nationalist approach while being difficult to trace back to britain because many similar groups had generally sprung up in the late 1960s the group attempted to link a wave of assassinations in africa to the soviets now, the british were not alone in using such tactics the kgb committed significant resources to disinformation campaigns throughout the Cold War and achieved some significant success. One pamphlet uh, produced by the Soviet service uh, reported accurate American statistics and real cases of race crimes in order to turn African audiences against the US. It was made to look like it had been written by an African-American organization agitating against the Ku Klux Klan. The CIA built extensive networks across sub-Saharan Africa and used cultural ambassadors such as Louis Armstrong as a Trojan horse for intelligence gathering. The agency continued to be interested in Carmichael after his flight uh, from the US in 1969 and wrote, quote, uh, and, and quote, wrote typescript memos on his travels abroad during a period when he had dropped from public view, unquote. A summary of activities released by the agency in 20, 2007, Ugh, hate saying people say like that, 2007 revealed. Uh, the UK, quote, the UK effort was a lot smaller. Than that the Americans or the Soviets, are more restrained too, but it was broad in scope. The UK was doing this all over the world, Cormac said. Information operations were seen as a force multiplier. It is clear uh, there was a recognition that we were small and in decline, but that this was a very clever way of maintaining a global role on the cheap. Unquote. Um, I feel like I've read something similar to this. Um, maybe not on the show, but um, before anyway. Um, and, but regardless, it is still fascinating to think about um, of how of how all of these movements were happening and um, it could just easily be dismantled because um, there were fake idols in that sense, right? Um, you know, someone like Stokey Carmichael Kwame Ture was a real person, of course, and uh, you knew him, but... You know, do you know the person behind them? Do you, you know, I mean, how how deep does uh how di- how deep does it go on that front, right? Um, look at you know, Fred Hampton and uh, and Ron O'Neill, right? That was a very close relationship, but then you know, Ron O'Neill was snaking. Um, you just can't. It's hard to trust anybody. Um, I was, I was actually watching a. This kind of tangential, but it kind of um I think brings to the home my thoughts. Um, overall. Um. When it comes to, you know, just community building, I guess in general, uh, when you're trying, uh, I mean, community in this case, obviously, being um, uh, uh, pre- pre- preaching for change in, in some way and, and trying to change things, I guess, um, you know, pro change. Um, I was, really, I was, uh, I was watching a video on the history of the metaverse. Obviously, you know, the metaverse is not something that Mark Zuckerberg created. Obviously, um, it was a term that was there before um you know 40 40 30 40 years before um and uh there was a bit where in a uh, one uh one quote from it uh was uh basically a report from a get from games developers that created basically the first metaverse and uh one of their results was um one of the results of that report was um in bold don't trust anyone and obviously that has to do with how people work in the metaverse because you, you can't you can't really trust anyone in that case right um and that's the and that's the problem we face when it comes to something like that when it comes to vr and stuff like that you can't exactly trust anybody right um you can barely trust anybody in games in general right um but obviously uh when it comes to community building how far and and real life how do you how do you split that you know, do you still not trust anybody? Because you have to trust some people in order to build a community, right? Uh, but you can't keep tabs on everybody, even though you—you know—why would you? But if you—if you're not that paranoid, of course. But it just—that's um, the—that's the—that's the friction that's faced, and it's clear in there. It's clear in there, you know, of how UK, the US, and Soviets um, were creating just these buzzword groups, and you know, it worked. Um, so it just it just seems like a i mean it answers a question i've had for a while where i'm just like why aren't these why don't these groups you know exist anymore in that fashion right in that strong fashion um and that was back in the day when we didn't have social media imagine the misinformation disinformation that could be spread around now uh from a from any account that you don't know right but it looks legit. so why you know what i mean it's just it's a lot of there's a lot of existentialism in that um but yeah man i don't know i don't know where to go from that um connecting to uh that and something like the metaverse where you 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 know you can't trust anybody damn can you trust anybody in real life that that really honestly should be the question Speaking of not trusting anybody, or in this case, the government, um, a little update on the Windrush scandal, um, obviously it's been still, it's gone into a process of, uh, you know, a compensation scheme and, a, and that's, that's just, you know, how, sir, how, uh, how it can possibly, uh, be remedied in everybody getting, uh, compensated on that front for the people that have either been deported or threatened to be deported, um, but uh, there's this report that I saw today, well, four, well, a few days ago, um, and basically it's called uh, Windrush Compensation Scheme, not fit for purpose, as only 1%, 1% of appeals successful. Um, so yeah, 42 of the 3,479 appeals last year were successful. Crazy, excuse me. Uh, this is written by Thomas Kingsley, uh, by The Independent. Let's jump around. The government has been accused of mocking its home, own homework over the Windrush uh, compensation appeals process as new figures reveal only 1% of payouts reviews were successful. Freedom of information data retained by Labour MP Kate Osenmore uh, and shared exclusively with the Independent shows that 3,479 claimant appeals in 2021, uh, that of uh, the pre-K, uh, only, result, only 42 resulted in a settlement. The Edmonton MP said the appeals process was, quote, not fit for purpose, unquote. And Windrush claimants are being told to take it or leave it when they receive offers. Uh, Quote, how demonic, Jesus Christ. Uh, The Home Office uh, perpetrated the Windrush scandal. Now they are deciding how much compensation should be awarded to their victims. The result is unsurprising, consistent and poor quality decision making, resulting in insultingly small offers of compensation, Ms. Oaksamore told The Independent. She added, under those circumstances, a fully independent and uh, functioning appeals process is essential. That isn't what we have. Wenrush claimant Auckland Elwaldo o- El uh, Romeo, who was uh, wrongly declined uh, denied British citizenship for 13 years, said he rejected a 40k payout from the Home Office and is now taking his claim to the Parliamentary Ombudsman. Uh, Mr. Romeo, 67, was born in Antigua. Uh, before coming to the UK as a uh, four-year-old, I don't know why I said it like that, four-year-old, but was later told he was not a citizen uh, when he tried to renew his British passport. Uh, Quote, 40k is not even a year's salary for someone who works at the home office, but for 13 years they want to pay me less than what someone gets paid in one year, told the Independent. Because we're a black community, they want to dictate how much they pay. They don't want us to go to court, because if one of us is found to have been underpaid, It would open the doors for everyone. Now, it's a matter of finding lawyers to London, added. The appeal process allows claimants uh, to request a review of the conversation sum if they find it unsatisfactory. Reviews are divided into two tiers with appeals from Tier 1 claimants considered by a senior reviewer who was not involved in the original payout decision. Claimants can then escalate their appeal to a Tier 2 review, which is sent to an independent adjudicator who makes a recommendation on the offer which the Home Office can either uphold or reject. Of 3,020 Tier 1 review outcomes in 2021, only 38 were successful, that's 1%, while only 459 Tier 2 review outcomes in 2021, only 008 percent were successful. <sighs> Joel Oswald, uh, also from London, is appealing a zero-sum award uh, offered to his 89-year-old grandmother, Dorothy Oswald-Williams, who was told she wasn't a British citizen and had her passport taken from her after coming to the UK in 1962 in her 20s and working and paying taxes in Britain. Mr Oswald said his grandmother, who now lives in Jamaica, spent years fighting to regain her citizenship status and was forced to travel back to Jamaica to seek medical treatment because her incorrectly assigned status did not give her free access to the NHS. Mr Oswald said... And the process with the Home Office had been, uh, had been arduous and painful, and he faced up to a year's wait for a response on his original claim. Uh, she spent most of the 1980s and 1990s uh, trying to regain her status, and she did eventually get indefinite leave uh, to remain, but by then she was a retired woman and lost a lot of life in the UK, Miss Os- Oswald told the independent. By that time, she had already accepted defeat in a way. He added, now she's running into retirement age, and has been able to enjoy her retirement and live in the UK. She should be able to. Her kids have 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 to have had to fight for visas and temporary stay for her when she wants to come over. She finds that indignifying uh, and finds it, she finds it embarrassing. My grandmother is proud of her British connections, so she's grieved by the way uh, she has been treated by British immigration officials. On uh, Mr. Oswald said he was hopeful of a positive outcome for his appeal, but has been disappointed by the running of the scheme. Kate Osamore added, quote, not only is it not independent of government, but the Home Office can reject or accept review outcomes. It's therefore unsurprising, but still shocking, uh, that almost no victims of the scandal are winning appeals. The government is marking its own homework. Survivors of the Windrush scandal are being told to take it or leave it. We need to take the conversation scheme out of the hands of the perpetrators of this scandal and give claimants access to a truly independent appeals process. This isn't good enough. The government continues to treat the Windrush generation with disdain. The Windrush scandal isn't over. Ramya J- Jidev, Ramya I'm sorry like that, co-founder of advocacy advocacy group Windrush Lives, uh, Windrush Lives, uh, said the low appeal success rate was unsurprising but highlighted the need for an independent body to oversee the scheme. It is high time he had a statutory uh, judge-led Windrush inquiry to blow the lid off the whoa malad malad malad. Maladministration. Okay, I didn't realize M mal uh, maladministration. I didn't realize you could say it like that. Okay, of this scheme and to openly and transparently investigate the failings, uh, which led to the scandal in the first place. She said, a Home Office spokesperson said, "We do not recognise these figures. We continue to work with claimants to pay the maximum reward available at the earliest point possible, and to get the right decision first time." Uh, the Windrush Conversation scheme has now paid uh, paid out four four point six 46.7 million pounds across 1163 claimants uh, claims with a further 8.4 million offered awaiting acceptance or penny review uh, quote the mistreatment of the windrush generation by successive governments was completely unacceptable and we d- determined to right those wrongs okay right. <clears throat> i just don't, i just don't really i, I I'm not I, again I'm not surprised right I'm not surprised that um, I'm not surprised that our elders have been um, are being shafted like this. Um, it's just not it's just unsurprising. I find it's funny that the government um has this bullish attitudes um towards this, and think it's fine that they get to decide how much they give for their mistakes being made. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, <laughs> it's just no no government is going to be uh completely forthright on that on that front in terms of giving the right amount of money. They're not gonna they're not gonna offer. Uh, they're not going to offer blank checks, right? They're not going to do that. Um, but you know, the nice middleman for that would be an independent adjudicator, an independent body. Why has this not happened yet? It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and it's just—it's um, sad. And uh, you know, year by year, these people, these pe- the Windrush generations, old man, si- 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. These people are old, man. Like they can. You know, I I can't fathom these people um just passing without uh resolve on this. Like how how old was a uh, Oswald Williams? Uh, that's like uh, it just it just doesn't it boggles my mind of how you can disrespect someone in their mid nineties. It just it's just demonic. It's it's really demonic, man. And uh, you know they can say they can say all they want in terms of how much how many millions. I I just people hey man what what's this said what's this one percent what's this zero point eight percent of tier two claimants getting success like getting success it doesn't make sense like you you, you you don't, you shouldn't the 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 person committing the crime shouldn't be deciding what what the payout should be that just doesn't <laughs> lawfully that doesn't make sense common sense needs to prevail here um, before these people die off it's just it's just depressing to think about of how these people can't enjoy their lives sufficiently because of this dark cloud hanging over them it's disrespectful and it's just and it's just demonic to hold this over um, to hold this over a certain group of people um it's it's, it's, it's just it's just a long-term bullying tactic it's just disgraceful um, but yeah, I can't say much more on it. Um, there's not many superl- superlatives that I can possibly use, but easy solution, man. Independent judiciary, independent everything. Um, the government committed this. The government, ma- this is all Theresa May's Home Office, by the way, that started this shit. So fuck Theresa May. Get in, get in the bin. Don't care what the fuck she does for the rest of her life. She she made this happen. Okay, this was under her jurisdiction, and it's under and it's been under obviously the subsequent Home Offices. So they're all they're all criminals in that sense. They're upholding this, upholding this, and Theresa May started this. So um, you know, optimally, send her to jail as well. But you know, obviously, politicians can't get can't go to jail. Oh, can't go to jail for nothing. A minimum a fine, and maybe they resign as an MP. Oh heaven forbid, heaven forbid. Oh no, you know, and then and suddenly get a consultancy role for fifty k for for a days of nothing. So you know, whatever, man, whatever. Keep do, keep doing you. Keep failing upwards. It's all good. But um, as you're doing that, just know blood is on your hands. Pretty much, like if these people die with these cla- with these clouds above their head, and they die without uh, uh without uh, the uh without the guarantee of compensation, the blood's on your hands. Simple as that. from uh, one uh, bullshit institution to the next to the other one (laughs) the police so this is a nice analysis here Um, uh, this is written by Aaron Bastani off Navara Media Uh, it's called do the police actually solve crime easy question right simple question let's let's see see what the answer is the crime drama has long been popular in both literature and on TV but during repeated lockdowns uh, its appeal has seemingly scaled yet greater heights whether it's the BBC's Line of Duty and Bloodlands or the slate of gory true crime dramas from the Yorkshire Ripper on ITV to Sat Carefront playing Ted Bundy on Netflix, it's often felt like little else is being broadcast. While many of these efforts are more cerebral than copaganda uh, offerings like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Cops, which for some reason, um, as a side note, my sister's watching Cops um, and we were watching it a couple of episodes. It's wild. It's wild copaganda, man. It's wild. Like, it's just there's some things that they do on there, it's just like, yeah, if the camera's on, they wouldn't be doing that. And even when the camera's are on, sometimes they're just like, they just escalate for no fucking reason. Like, there was a guy who had like a, who had like a Coke in his car, and, uh, or meth in his car, and uh, the dude was just like, you know, you know, bit edgy like a bit on edge he was like oh man about, I don't know man oh, that's 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 my those aren't those aren't my drugs man da, 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 right you know just talking and he was just like standing there and the police and the police dude was like looking in like under the seats and whatever and he was like sir you're making me nervous can you step back I'm like you're nervous you're the guy with the fucking gun what the fuck are you chatting about <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't, oh god and every single time every no matter no matter what at every single time a new, uh, the one of the new scene, uh, the, the, when they go to a new scene, um, every time the cop is like, "Oh, policing is a very dangerous job, da, 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 life or death." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> stop, dick riding, Jesus Christ, it's, it's a dangerous job. It's not even top ten in the U.S. All right, shut up, give it a break. Anyway, just when he said cops, I had to get that because I recently saw it. Uh, the reality, uh, I just hate the fact that Bad Boys, the song is like uh, the track is is the the song connected to that because I love that fucking song, but ah, uh, so annoying. Anyway, <sighs> right, back to this. The reality show that ran for more than three decades, yeah, literally three decades, that's crazy, and often carry implicit critiques of police themselves. Their fundamental assumptions remain the same. The first is that crime is pervasive and cannot be escaped. The second is that a significant number of crimes, from ritualized uh, serial murder to high level corruption within the police. Are solved on both counts. Such as uh, such representations are wrong. Not only is crime, but by uh, by historic standards, relatively low. Uh, but the police themselves are remarkably ineffective at solving it. So how much crime is there? For all uh, the sensationalist headlines and well-polished TV dramas, Britain, by any meaningful standard, is an incredibly safe country. Measured on rates of international homicide, uh, intentional homicide, sorry, it ranks among the lowest worldwide at 124 out of 167 countries listed, putting it somewhere between Cyprus and Bhutan. Using the slightly more nuanced methodology of the Global Peace Index, which includes the availability of firearms, rates of violent crime, and political instability, Britain was for- the 42nd safest country out of 163 measured in 2020. France, by comparison, placed 66, and the United States, 121st alongside these statistics the, is the extraordinary fact that almost every kind of crime has fallen over the last 25 years excuse me in 19, uh, 1994/5 there were 44.2 million violent crimes recorded excuse me in england and wales uh, 20 years later that had fallen to 1.32 million in 2015 the crime survey for england and wales found that crime was at its lowest level since the survey began in 1981 This is not to diminish crimes that still happen, sometimes violent, life-altering, and even fatal. But to highlight that any assertion that crime is historically high is at odds with the evidence. As the chart below uh, makes clear, in 2018, hospital admissions for assault in England were at an all-time low. um, 31.5k as of 2019, and the height was 2007, I think, 2008, it looks like, somewhere there, uh, uh, 46.7k. So yeah, much less. Uh, while profoundly different <coughs> um, on matters of criminal justice, justice and far less safe, the United States, like many other countries, has found itself on a similar trajectory to the UK. Between 1993 and 2019, violent crime in the US fell by 49%, robbery by 68%, murder and non negligent manslaughter by 47%, and aggravated assault by 43%. Yet, despite such a monumental shift in public... Uh, despite yet despite such a monumental shift the public thought crime uh the public thought crime was going up okay with really weird isn't something research also found in the uk uh, a decade ago this is likely a result of media sensationalism combined with opportunistic politicians liable to exaggerate the problem or conveniently ignore historic context for their own end so there's plenty of those uh, all the time when everyone <coughs> when any politician talks about crime going up i just immediately squint Immediately, squint. I'm just like, "Are mm, you sure?" Uh, I feel like you're using. I feel like you, you're 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 stat You're cherry picking some stats here, uh, and most of the time, they always are. Uh, of course, one because how are you going to re- get re- unless you've been, you know, MP for like you know, sort of ten years, etc. Uh, for example, right? Um, you know, you're not going to say crime's gone down, right? Y- y- <laughs> unless you're unless you're one of those was like, uh, "Well, I've been here for years and crime's gone down in my tenure." Uh, But most of the time it's just negatives like, crime is up, crime is up, Uh, fear, fear, fear. You know, it's crazy. Anyway. Of course, one response to this is that the 1990s saw police officers who were given uh, even greater powers. A trend embodied in the broken windows policing strategy pioneered in New York City and later adopted elsewhere. According to the Brennan Center, increased hiring of police officers only uh, uh, meant a modest... Downward effect on crime in the 1990s, li- likely zero to ten percent, which other, with other factors having a greater impact. While former Mayor Rudy Giuliani and e- NYPD Commissioner Bill Bratton took credit for fall- uh, falling crime after assuming their roles in 1994, the downward trend in New York er- actually began in 1990. Crime also continued to decline after the NYPD largely abandoned its stop and uh, frisk policy in 2013. This is congruent with the conclusions of the Brennan Report, which found that increased incarceration had a minimal effect on reducing po- uh, property crime in the 1990s and had no effect on violent crime. In the 2000s, increased incarceration again had no effect on violent crime and accounted for less than one percent of the decade's property crime drop. There are a number of theories for what uh, for what caused that historic decline in crime, decline in crime, ha, huh, in the uh, in the early 90s. From economic growth to greater use of antidepressants and the increasingly widespread adoption of mobile phones. When it comes to more officers, however, even the deterrent eff- effect appears minimal. The police do not cri- prevent crime or solve it. Alongside the trend of falling crime is a fact that seems equally incontrover- incontrovertible? Incontrovertible, yeah. Don't know why I trip over those words sometimes. Uh, there is no correlation between the number of police officers in a country and the crime rate. Policing scholar David Bailey uh, repeatedly stresses this fact in his work, concluding, The police do not prevent crime. This is one of the best-kept secrets of modern life. Experts know it, the police know it, but the public does not know it. Great, Michelle Alexander. Author of the new Jim Crow writes that quote: "We need an effective system of crime prevention and control in our communities, but instead of offering this cur- this uh, this the current system, qu- another quote, appears better designed to create crime and, per- and a perpetual class of people labeled criminals." Yes, we know that we are aware of that, of course. Uh, the police don't prevent crime from happening, but do they solve it? According to the data, no. In 2019, the Home Office report uh, reported that just 7.8% of all recorded offences result in a charge or summons. For violent crime, that figure was 8%. For robbery, 7%. For theft, it was 6%. And for sexual offences, other than rape, it was 3.5%. To stress, this was merely for those crimes that were reported. All under 16%. Like, it's cre- <laughs> So the highest was 2014 and 2013, 70%. Everything else is lower than that uh, from 2011 to 2020. Crazy. Um, uh, across the Atlantic, uh, Atlantic, things appear to be even worse. With one academic concluding, the police in the US solve just two percent of all reported major crime. Again, it is important to take into account that the majority of crime likely remains unreported. With Pew Research concluding in 2015 that only 40 percent of those subject to violent crime actually contact the police, a figure which falls to 35 percent for victims of property crime. It's hard to understand why such systematic uh, failure remains so immune from criticism. In Britain, uh, the police now openly concede that the likelihood of solving a crime is so low, victims increasingly don't bother to pursue justice. As Matt Parr, HM Inspector of Constabulary... I hate saying that word, Constabulary, uh, put in last year, quote, most of the public simply give up reporting crime uh, because the chances of anything positive happening are so slim. Unquote. Far from hyperbolic, this is in fact in line with the Met's own guidelines, which state shoplifting, car crime, and criminal damage are among the lower-level offences officers may not probe. The police have given up on policing. <laughs> oh. oh, god. What is being a policeman these days? It's just like, are you just there? What are you there for? I think I said this on pod, but I feel like there's like three things that policemen, that peace. Police, the police people, white people become policemen, uh, police women, whatever, police people. Um, money, which I mean, sure, like power, a big one. And also just like, uh, you know, identity. I feel like identity is a big one for them. Um, just being part of some of like a community in that sense. Right. So, you know, blue, fin, blue line, all that bullshit. Anyway, I feel like those are only three reasons, but money may be the lesser, In Britain, at least a simple explanation is readily available for why so uh, so few crimes are solved. After a decade of austerity, successive conservative governments have eroded their capacity of police to do their job. The extent of policing cuts is undeniable. Uh, With the National Audit Office including in 2018, there had been a 19% drop in funding since 2010, while the number of police employees had fallen from uh, 2,000. 244,497 to 199,752 over the same period. It should come as no surprise then that the number of reported crimes ending in prosecution has halved in the last five years, with the lamentable figure of 7.8% of reported crimes ending in prosecution down from the record high of 15% in 2015. <laughs> oh, the record high of, 20, of 15%. That's crazy. Yet while it was an undeniable correlation of work What does it say of the system when at its high point in 2015 we still saw fewer than one in five reported crimes ending in prosecution? Again, it's hard to imagine such figures, now yearned for by Britain's party of opposition, being presented as success anywhere else. And while cuts have happened, police forces in England and Wales still command massive resources, employing almost 200,000 people and enjoying an annual budget of £15 billion. Given all that, only yields a tiny number of of prosecutions. At the best of times, it would appear that properly addressing issues of law and order is bigger than simply throwing more money at the police. The safest countries in the world tend to have smaller police forces, in fact which further undermines the claim more police equals less crime. Those European countries which enjoy the lowest crime rates, such as Switzerland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, and Iceland, have all all have fewer police uh, fewer officers per head than England and Wales. Meanwhile, beyond uh, beyond Europe, Singapore, New Zealand and Japan enjoy some of the lowest crime rates worldwide, while also having con- a comparatively few officers. In 2014, just few- four people were fatal victims of gun crime in Japan, the lowest in the world outside of Iceland and Luxembourg. Or Luxembourg. Is it Luxembourg or Luxembourg? Because I see the Borg and I'm saying Borg, right? But I've seen people say Berg, so I don't know. Uh, but while Iceland has a population size of Leicester, uh, Japan is home to more than 124 million people. At the same time, countries such as Mexico, Russia, Colombia, uh, which experience some of the highest uh, crime rates on earth, have more officers relative to population than England and Wales. Uh, Brazil, meanwhile, has similar levels of policing, but homicide rates are more than 20 times as high. An informed response to this is to state that these countries are major sites of drug production and distribution, and therefore endure higher levels of serious crime. This may be true, but but the point remains the same. Higher levels of policing have achieved little. It's a strategy which, by any empirical measure, doesn't seem to work. So, if more uh, police isn't an the answer, what is the best strategy to fight crime? The answer should be obvious enough: reduce inequality. Indeed, the most equal countries in the world are generally the least violent. With Japan and Scandinavian countries cons- uh, conspicuous uh, among the OECD nations for their low inequality, low crime rates. Crime, crime rates. Fucking Jonathan Ross up in here low crime rates, and low levels of policing. Uh, as Re- uh, Richard Wilkinson and Kate Pickett wrote in the much uh, write in the much acclaimed spirit level, quote, If you fail to avoid high inequality, you will need more prisons and more police. Uh, the relationship between higher levels of policing and inequality makes sense when one realizes the amount of time spent by police on things such as street homelessness, drug possession, and the low-level harassment of working-class minority communities, Any sensible approach would would aim to eliminate homelessness and decriminalize at least the possession of small quantities of drugs, as well as reducing economic inequality across income and racial groups. And yet, at present, such measures are considered less pragmatic than simply spending more money on the thin blue line. To emphasize how little more police can accomplish, take the example of America's schools. Around 42% of schools in the US have at least one police officer on campus, and according to the US Department of Education, 92,000 arrests were made ...in the 2010-2011 school, school year. Yes, allocation of resources means cost-cutting elsewhere... ...with 14 million students in schools, with a police presence... ...but without a counsellor, nurse, psychologist or social worker. Would anyone seriously contend that the presence of police in America's schools... ...and tens of, th- of thousands of arrests a year has made students en- there any safer? To the British audience, such a proposition sounds absurd... ...yet it is a common assumption in the law and order debate... So, here we go, defund the police, here we go. (laughs) The defund police uh, campaign, transposed from a US context to the UK, has been criticised by both the right and centre-left. This is not entirely without reason. Britain's schools, uh, to give just one example, are not policed as they are across the Atlantic, Atlantic, nor are local forces as heavily heavily militarised. Yet, while it is true that the issue is an order of magnitude worse in the United States, Uh, such derision is strange given the obvious failure of the existing model to address crime if defunding police is absurd what do we call a situation where we spend a 15 billion a year so that more (laughs) more than 9 out of 10 reported crimes don't end in prosecution where a figure of 1.5 out of 10 crimes resulting in prosecution is held aloft as the gold standard I refrain from labelling myself an abolitionist because in the present climate, the phrase can obscure more than it clarifies. Yet on the big questions, it appears the abolitionists have the evidence on their side. Do I think we could have let far less crime in a relatively short period of time while allocating fewer resources to policing? Yes. But uh, But alongside what that would require, namely a major transformation of economic life, it's important to start with a simple evidence observation. The police aren't particularly good solving crime, no matter what Netflix might have you believe. <sighs> yeah, and that's kind of, you know, not in the uh, Apple storages in some way, but um, this is the reason why I don't call myself a Republican, right, when I was talking about the stuff, uh, when I was talking about me in the Guardian earlier. I just call because that's a term that's only recently come up since the Queen died, right? I've never heard, I've, you know, i barely heard people calling themselves, referencing themselves as that, or the media um, talking about Republicanism, um, apart from, you know, when uh, the Caribbean countries are trying to become a republic and remove head of state, right? That's the only time I heard them talk about it, but now they're talking about it in such a uh, overt uh, ways. And also saying, when it came to the defunded police and being abolitionist about it, right? Um, it wasn't about, it wasn't about, see, the, the term defund was just, you know, muddied, right? And the whole term was just muddied, right? The point of that was a reallocation of resources, a reallocation of. Of money and uh, f- in changing the police to be something different, right? Um, to a more, uh, to a more a uh, rehabilitative, um, uh, 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 uh con- con- I don't know what you want to call it, uh, entity, right? For lack of a better phrase, and instead, just like you know, when people get like. Why are you? Why are you bothering homeless people? Right? You know, what I mean stuff like that. Like, do you not have more things? Do you not have better things to do? Instead of, uh, but instead of you know arresting homeless people or arresting people because they have a bit of weed in their pocket, how about we a legalize weed and b uh cure homelessness, which we can, we can. It ta- it doesn't take much money in the grand scheme of things. You know, given all this def- defense budget, hundreds of billions, we-, we can't solve homelessness. It doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't make sense. It never does. It never doesn't, never will. Um, but we just choose not to solve it because reasons, right? And all those numbers about policing is crazy to me. Um, and I'm surprised, uh, I don't know, I'm surprised uh, there's not more, you know, fucking, fucking vigilantes uh, about, like, not that I'm encouraging it because, you know, ugh, But um, muddy waters, but I'm just genuinely surprised there ain't. I'm surprised there ain't more, you know, uh, people trying to do Batman shit. Like <laughs> mean, the Punisher or some fucking bollocks. I'm surprised that ain't happening. But luckily it ain't. I'm not encouraging it, once again. Uh, but yeah, man, just... Father oh, the police, bro. <laughs> it's the words of NWA. Keeping it simple. Fuck the police. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we get to the main course, we get to the main course, we can finally talk about it, finally talk about it properly, Abolishing the Monarchy. Um, so this is a piece um, I saw uh, by Sonali uh, Bhattacharya, uh, with two T's and two Y's, love the spelling, uh, it's called Abolishing the Monarchy is an Important Step Towards Building a Fairer Society. Simple, right? Simple. I, I, f- I, I agree. I agree. So let's jump, let's jump right in. It's quite independent, by the way. Uh, our public sphere is being stifled. Multiple arrests for the mildest of public protests against King Charles' accession. wall to war positive media coverage with barely a single Republican viewpoint. Again, there we go, Republican again. Uh, Parliament adjourned at a time of desperate worry for working-class families. Major sporting events cancelled and even kids football halted. It is clear that there are many people throughout the country mourning the Queen's death. It is right that they are afforded opportunities to do so. But there is also a sizable section of the population, including a large and growing number of young people who do not believe in hereditary privilege, don't consent to King Charles' succession, uh, and want a different kind of political system. We deserve to have our voices heard. We are in the middle of a crisis, not just a, uh, not just of living costs, but of inequality. Energy bills are squeezing families' budgets as energy corporations rake in billions of profit. Wages are squeezed by growing inflation as billionaires get richer by the day. The accession of a very wealthy aristocrat to monarch, uh, with parliament adjourned at a time when solutions to the cost of living crisis are desperately needed, is a feature of this crisis, not an interruption of it. Being a king, a top and unequal and unjust economic system means you have your own rules. Charles III, for example, will ha- will pay no inheritance tax on his mother's private wealth, whereas the public have to pay forty percent on anything inherited over a three hundred and twenty-five thousand pound threshold. The monarch is also immune from dozens more laws. King Charles will be exempt from having to comply with various workers' rights, health and safety, and pensions legislation. While the police are effectively barred from entering his private estate to investigate crimes without the Crown's permission, shockingly, royal household employees are unable to raise sexual and racial discrimination complaints. I love it, love it. It's great. This is this is this is the world we want. Apparently, this is this is the world we want. Got to have the monarchy, guys, because the monarchies are history. You know, the monarchies are history. We get, we gotta keep it. Can't, can't, not have the royal family. What, what, what country would we be without the royal family? This story is one we know well, because it's not exclusive to the royal family. For the past 40 years, we have lived under an economic system that has given increasing power to the wealthy at the expense of working people. The welfare state has been vandalised, housing has become prohibitively expensive, workers' rights have been eroded, and the rich have got richer because of it. Uh, The news that dozens of King Charles' staff have been made redundant in the middle of an incredibly busy work period and a cost of living crisis, Reflects an experience that will be familiar to many workers across the country. Exposed person for Clarence House, the King's under residence for nearly 20 years, said they were, quote, working urgently to identify alternative roles for the greatest possible number of staff, unquote. In this context, a mon- mon- monarchical, 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 I don't know, regime and its basis in hereditary privilege must be up for debate. The monarchy's role in British colonialism is a good place to start. August marked the 75th anniversary of the partition of the Indian subcontinent, when a British uh, civil servant carved up the territory after spending 10 weeks in the region. More than a million people died as a result. As Pakistanis, yeah, we're getting there. Uh, Pakistanis with the reality, uh, struggle with the reality of climate collapse. It's clear that the legacy of empire is an ongoing disaster for many. The unimaginable wealth of the royal family is built on the forced transfer of wealth and resources from the global south to Britain's coffers. Our country needs to help uh, build a new system that delivers justice for all. But this can only happen if historic wrongs are recognised as part of our national story. Just as silence reigns when it comes to Britain's colonial past, we're also told that silence is the only respectful mode amid the death of one monarch and the accession of another. Even in a time of deep national crisis, there is a tone that needs to be struck when some are mourning, but it is wrong to suspend politics entirely. Parliament has been adjourned, and Keir Starmer has told that Labour MPs, that the the only media-related activity they can perform is paying tribute to the Queen and their local paper. The impending rise in bills in October? Silence. The uh, shooting of an unknown black man in London? Silence. These issues cannot wait. People in this country desperately need a government that is taking decisive action to help them. Not a self-imposed recess, however respectful the intention. There are some who have bravely decided to put forward their Republican police, There we go again. By standing with placards or by shouting slogans at official events, they have either been quickly moved on or arrested by police. My party's leader, human rights lawyer no less, questioned the respect, quote, quote respect of the pro- uh, protesters," and refused to criticize the heavy-handed policing. Uh, with dissent criminalized, uh, yeah, with dissent criminalized, his reg- disregard for the democratic right to protest at a time of deep ep- economic and political turmoil is deeply concerning. But there is a wider point here too. The way protesters have been treated, and the way that Prince Andrew's reputation is carefully being restored, is indicative of the deep inequality in our country. You'll get arrested for shouting, Andrew, you are a sick old man, but receive the full protection of the British state if you're a prince, and the American American prosecutors want want to question you about child sex offences. Which brings us back to the most important principle, in the argument for reviving the Republican movement. Our country suffers greatly from inequality, that is, from ordinary people getting shafted while the rich and powerful get away with whatever they want. It follows naturally from this, uh, that no one person should possess the divine right to represent our nation as its head of state. Democracy matters. Uh, Without it, there is no accountability and no justice. In our political institutions, in our workplaces, there must be mechanisms by which we can hold powerful people to account and have our voices heard. These are the principles that must define our country and our world. <sighs> oh, I didn't realize that. awarding playwright and screenwriter. Big up Sonali. Big up Sonali. Um, and is representative of me- uh, Momentum's executive as well. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, she's, she's put it very succinctly, um, of what I was trying to say on that Guardian piece again in the full show notes and also what I was trying to say last week. Um, She put it much, much more uh, succinctly than uh, what I did. um, And I thank her for that. I'm highly appreciative I found this and called this. Um, And just a a great starting point for the whole conversation, I I feel. This is a great icebreaker. Um, If if anyone wants to have a conversation on this, if you're a royalist, monarchist, whatever the fuck you want to call yourselves, right? If you identify as that kind of person or if you think, you know, it needs to be a royal family for whatever reason... Just give us a read and see what you think. Honestly, I want to, I want to know people's thoughts on this front um, because I feel like this is not even the most extreme way of uh, of of uh, of laying this out of this argument. Um, this is purely an opinion piece on her front, of course. Um, but I, you know, I fully take it in. I fully agree with it. Everything she's saying, um, you know, just the fact that it was, this was all done before October comes, and we're still doing that energy bullshit. Like, there's still that don't pay movement. So. And there's going to be like a mini budget in a few days or something, and that's probably just going to be tax cuts for the wealthy, because of course. And yeah, man, it's just it's all going to come to a head at some point. Um, so the you know more you delay it, uh, you know, because you have respect for the queen. I mean, it's going to come to a head at some point. So you know, keep 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 kicking the can down the road. Keep keep doing that. See what happens. Um, so yeah. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, with that said, I'll leave it there from the 5th and podcast network I have a child and it's been what's good intro music has been too much by vanilla thanks to chill music for the BTUs track, use you can find both their links in the full show notes and thanks to friend of 5e nappy high interview from, from, with him last week uh, dropped give that a spin um, thanks to charismatic for the interlude as well uh, you can also find his link in the full show notes and with that said I hope you'll have a good week I shall always try and do the same abolish the monarchy and until next time take it easy ladies and gentlemen